Hello, and welcome to the Institute on Religious Life Ever Ancient, Ever New Introduction Podcast episode. I'm Jeff Carls, the Executive Director of the Institute on Religious Life since 2017. Oh, I am the former Executive Director of the Institute on Religious Life. I worked with the Institute from the year 2000 to 2017, but continue to support the work of the Institute and serve as Managing Editor of Religious Life Magazine. Thanks, Mike. And it's really a joy to be able to share this introduction podcast with you because you have such a great grounding in the history of the Institute on Religious Life as we approach the celebration of our 50th anniversary, having started in 1974, being founded by Servant of God, Father John Harden. So to put this into context, I'll give you a little background about who I am, and then Mike can share who he is and how he's been involved with the Institute on Religious Life. Before coming on board with the IRL, I was the Executive Vice President at Magdalen College in Warner, New Hampshire for 13 years and then President for 12. I moved back to my hometown in Wisconsin after receiving an invitation from Madison Bishop Robert Morlino to help raise $25 million to build a new chapel at the University of Wisconsin Newman Center and to co-found with Abbot Marcel Rooney, the Arate Liturgical Institute of Sacred Liturgy, Music, and Art, which we established in the Diocese of Madison. I also served as principal of our parish school during that time. I had been on the board at the IRL for nearly 20 years at the time when Mike decided to move on to work for Bishop Hine. I was asked if I would consider being interim director at the IRL, which I did for a year, and was hired full-time in 2017, and now moving into eight years here at the IRL, which has been a blessing and a joy for me and for my family. I'm married to Julie, and we have 10 children with grandchildren seven and eight on the way. We reside just north of Madison and are in the Diocese of Madison, where Bishop Hying is our local bishop. Mike, how about you? Well, as you mentioned, I uh, work with Bishop Hying. I serve as the uh, chief of staff for the Diocese of Madison. Uh, I have came on board a couple years ago after serving as chief of staff with him and Bishop McClory in the Diocese of Gary. I'm involved in different uh, apostolates, um, in the Night of Columbus. I also serve as a vice president of the Militia of the Immaculata Movement that was founded by St. Maximilian Kolbe, so representing here in the United States. I'm married to my wife, Michelle, and together we have seven children been involved in different uh, aspects of the faith through different apostolates. I also have a master's of arts degree in pastoral studies from Catholic Theological Union and completed my coursework on the Doctor of Ministry program at Mundelein Seminary. So uh, using my gifts and talents and my interests, I've gotten involved in different things, also do some writing with the work of the institute that I had, came up with uh, different collections of devotionals, including a booklet of rosary meditations drawn from a the writings of Father John Harden, the founder of the IRL, called Powerful Channel of Grace. Also uh, took my master's degree and converted it into a little booklet called The um, Lord of the Harvest, which were the vocation prayers of St. John Paul II. And then for the year of St. Joseph, put together a little devotional with Dr. Rick Sarkeesian called Blessed St. Joseph. It's a 30-day devotional booklet on the person and mission of the chosen Father of our Lord. And so it's just been such a blessing to work with so many good and holy people and to continue the mission of the IRL. Thank you, Mike. That's a pretty impressive resume there, pretty impressive background. And 
Having been in administration for most of my adult life, I've been through many transitions at other organizations and institutes before. And I just have to say that the the transitions here at the Institute of Religious Life have been so smooth and well done and beneficial and professional, charitable, and no one ever really leaves the Institute of Religious Life. They just move on to something else, but they somehow stay involved and seem to complement the work that we do. And so we're very grateful to Mike that he stayed on and is still the editor of our Religious Life magazine, which he helped to start some years ago. So perhaps we should begin by giving a little bit of background on the history of the Institute on Religious Life, which I said earlier was founded in 1974 by Servant of God, Father John Harden, who is a Jesuit. And things were in kind of a chaotic freefall, if you will, following the Second Vatican Council with regard to religious life, and in particular here in the United States, the statistics were showing just alarming numbers of religious leaving their vocations. The uh, number of priests coming in for ordination was spiraling downward. Things were just somewhat catastrophic, if you will. And, And Father Hardin was called on by the Vatican to do something to save religious life in America. And so he collaborated with some laymen, some local cardinals and bishops, the likes of Fulton Sheen and Mother Teresa of Calcutta, to pull together this organization called the Institute on Religious Life to promote and support religious life here in the United States. And so, Mike, tell us a little bit about your getting involved at the time when Father Hardin was still alive and still part of the, the board of the Institute on Religious Life. Sure. I, I think it's a great testimony to Father Hardin's own personal holiness, but his deep conviction and ap- apostolic zeal that he had to really want to serve and support religious life all over the world, but in particular in America. And when you know the Holy See asked him, help save religious life in America, is because he was giving a lot of uh, retreats and conferences and a lot of counsel to communities that wanted to be true to the vision of renewal that the Second Vatican Council spoke about in their document, Perfecte Caritatis, uh, you know, that that it needed a renewal. It's ever ancient, ever new, as the name of this podcast, you know, that but all of our lives of faith have to be rooted in the reality of Christ, trying to follow Christ in a more perfect way through the evangelical councils. And so uh, in his work of uh, with individuals and communities trying to support this this vision of renewal that the council fathers were asking, you know, he looked at the situation as talked about the statistics. And I always say that priests were abandoning their vocations, sisters were having, you know, being liberated from their vocation, and brothers were having identity crisis. And what he did is he, he, he went through the documents and the beautiful documents to look at it. It has to be rooted in the gospel call to perfection and holiness. And so, as you said, he gathered beautiful Vatican II vision, bishops, priests, religious and laity, the entire church, the people of God, to support this gift of religious life. And so he began, you know, lecturing, he began writing, he began calling together communities that wanted to be authentic in their renewal and to serve the church and to serve the people of God. And so he was very effective because it wasn't about him, it was about those that they were called to serve. And so I think, you know, the testimony of 50 years, and as you said, you know, through the different transitions of directors and and leadership board, what you see is that 
call always being focused on what are the needs, you know? And so in the beginning, it was just a need of support that, you know, these individuals and communities weren't alone. They wanted to be authentic. They wanted to be true to the church. They wanted to be uh, living their vocation and, and support it. And so, so what they would call is together through meetings, through gatherings, through publications, and then continue to move on through the years using all the tools that were available. So when I first came on board in 2000, it was the internet. How do we claim and share this gift of religious life through the internet? Then it was through classes and then developed into the Vita Consequata Institute, which is our summer school that's partnered with Christendom College. Through your time, it's been using social media to connect people, especially young people, because when I first came on board, we did a survey to our affiliate communities that were part of the Institute. How can we best serve you? And the number one thing was vocations. And so using social media, using the internet, using different uh, technologies to connect this beautiful gift of religious life and to invite people, just as our Lord did, to follow him in a more complete way through uh, the poverty, chastity, and obedience. Well stated, Mike. And one of the things that's not really known about Father John Harden was that he encouraged the use of media and was even somewhat prophetic in that sense, because this is just the beginning of the age of of the Internet when he was in his dying years, basically. And so the fact that he saw the benefits of using the media appropriately speaks well of, of, again, the way the directions that we've taken with proper use of the media, with the Internet and our website has Brotherhood of Hope. It has the religiouslife.com. It has website. Oystered Life. Yes, exactly. Sorry. (laughs) But yes, we've come a long way in the 50 years. And as Mike said, the, the goal was to bring religious throughout the country together so that they would have a forum for working together. And we did this through a series of an annual national meeting every year. We have regional meetings throughout the country. And then we published Religious Life magazine. And right when COVID hit, we were on the cusp of trying to move more so into social media. And so we came up with a Facebook Live series, which we featured weekly. And we would have an interview with one of our religious from the religious communities who are affiliates of the Institute on Religious Life to tell their vocation story and tell about their charisms and so on. And it was met with great success. And so now that we're moving on from that to the podcast, we want to, again, promote and support religious life in any way that we can and introduce it to people who have never really had an encounter with a religious sister or a brother or a priest. So oftentimes when people ask what does the Institute on Religious Life do? Uh, you know, and I, I try to explain it to him. I get met with a blank stare, like I, that still doesn't make sense. And so you really, really do have to educate uh, the world and the culture about the beauty and the benefits of religious life for Holy Mother Church, for ourselves, for the lady, and for the building up of the faith within our culture. This series of podcasts, is going to reflect on and focus on some of the talks that have been given at the national meetings over the years. We will have an affiliate in focus uh, series where we will interview religious superiors 
religious who have founded communities, um, and, and especially more recently, and since the Vatican II Council, and since the founding of the Institute on Religious Life, you know, there's a, a rich history of Carmelites and Benedictines and Franciscans and so on on the line. So people who have recently started communities have really been quite courageous in doing so in more recent years. And we have communities that we want to feature that can tell their story of how they felt called by God to start a religious community. And then what was that experience like? Where are they at today? And what can they recommend to other people who might be called to do the same thing? We'll also feature some of the talks that were given by the Pro Fidelitate at Vertute Award winners over the years. And that list is quite impressive with the likes of Mother Angelica and Cardinal Burke and Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Mike, you could probably think of a few. Father Benedict Rochelle, just to name a few. Yeah, when you sent me that list recently, you know, just to see that in a snapshot through the years, it's like the who's who within the church, you know, the movers and shakers, but that all who had a great love and support of religious life. And my first exposure and when I saw that list was the first one was uh, Cardinal Carberry in 1986. And that was my first exposure to the Institute on Religious Life was a volunteer at Marytown in Libertyville, Illinois, working with the conventional Franciscan discerning a vocation saying, you know, perhaps Lord's calling me to that life. Marytown was very supportive of the Institute on Religious Life. In fact, for many years, we had an office there on the campus of Marytown, which was a real blessing. And now they moved to the seminary campus, much more expansive. But one of the beautiful things was I was asked to videotape the national meeting in 1986, and it was on Loyola in Chicago, the university campus. And the exposure to religious was just incredible and, and dedicated lay people. And I, I just remember coming from that weekend, just so moved by the witness that all of them gave. And many of the early founders were still very involved. And Father Hardin was there at the meeting. And I think that's the key that you talk about exposure, to try to expose the church, especially young people, to religious life, because for them, it's something they read in a history book or nostalgic but it's really, truly alive within the church. And once you, you see it and experience it, and, and we do that through the IRL, through our publications, through our meetings, through our websites, through podcasts such as this, using social media, really showing that it's alive and well, and it's thriving in many cases. You know, Father Arden was asked to help save religious life, not just to survive, but to thrive. And that when we link ourselves with the gospel, when we link ourselves with the beauty and the, the history and the heritage of the church, and as you mentioned, all those different charisms of religious that really shaped and formed the proclamation of the gospel, the witnessing of the gospel, it's powerful. And when you get young people exposed to this, all of a sudden their choices in life broaden and they have to ask themselves, what is God calling me to be and to do? and their vocation and mission in life. And so the exposure to religious life can really open their eyes. And I know through my years, you know, when young people would come to the various gatherings, meetings and stuff and connect with religious, and then all of a sudden begin that vocational journey of discernment and embracing that call. It was beautiful just to, to see that before your eyes and to then see them having professed and, and serving the church and others through their religious vocation is beautiful. 
Yes, Mike. I'll never forget the first time I attended the national meeting. And I think you and I have similar backgrounds in this sense, in that at one point I was discerning the possibility of a vocation to the priesthood. And my pastor, who knew about the Institute on Religious Life and knew Father Hardin fairly well, recommended that I attend a national meeting. And I sort of reluctantly, you know, in my late 20s, early 30s, thinking, oh, yeah, this will be something, you know, whatever, you know. So I came and I was honest to goodness, just knocked off my feet to see 200 plus religious in their habits, interacting with one another with a phenomenal lineup of speakers to inspire them and inspire anybody else who would be in attendance. The only way I could describe it to people was like it was a foretaste of heaven. Mm -hmm. There was just so much joy and so much enthusiasm being amongst these people who totally embrace their vocation, have answered God's call and are serving God and Holy Mother Church with their whole life. And so and that's where I first met Father Hardin as well at the national meetings, as I know, Mike, you did, too. Both of us had the opportunity yeah. to actually encounter Father Hardin on different occasions. Tell me about your well, encounter with Father was those early years, you know, just uh, when going to the, the national meeting. And then as you shared, you know, the discernment and, and trying to figure out where is God calling me, I did decide to join the Franciscans and I did do initial formation. And when I was on my way to Novitiate in Staten Island, New York, I was going and traveling through O'Hare Airport. And who did I run into was Father Hardin in the airport and told him, you know, what I was doing. And we chatted a little bit. I remember he he said, I will offer my mass for your vocation. And he gave me a blessing. And I always felt that, you know, here, like a rock star, there's this author, this well-known theologian, this apostolic giant was going to offer his mass for me that day. After I um, came back from the division, I was in uh, studies. I, I did go to the IRL meetings and such. I discerned that just wasn't my call, but it was a great experience. And I always tell young people, you know, who are thinking about it, why not? And that's the beauty of the church, especially within religious life, within seminary formation. It's many years. You know, I always say, when you're married, you say, I do. Within religious <laughs> life, there, there's a wisdom to gradually deepen that vocation to the point of solemn or perpetual vows. And that's the wisdom. And so for me, it was professed initial vows, but it just realized through discernment, it wasn't my call. But yet I always look to that moment, especially when the, I joined the IRL in, in 2000 as a full-time staff member, first starting as the director of operations, and then eventually it evolved into executive director when we designated Father Thomas Nelson, who is the national director. It was just made sense at the time for the board for that shift in titles. But I look back at that moment in O'Hare, Father Hardin gave me that blessing, offered that mass, and that I was then connected later on as a full-time worker involved in this apostolate, being able to share my gifts, to share that experience I'd had. I, I understood religious life. I loved religious life. It just wasn't my call. Uh, I always describe it as a Franciscan life. It's like a, having a $150 pair of Italian leather shoes that really nice and you want and someone gives them, but they're half a size too small, you know, but you want to put it in your feet. Well, in this case it was sandals, you know, and, and it just, I came to the conclusion, my feet hurt. I'm not called to it. And, but yet God used those moments, those experiences, that training to prepare me for my work with the Institute on Religious Life to be able to share and to support the apostolate. And I know 
for yourself, Jeff, the same thing. You know, God writes straight with crooked lines sometimes. And when we connect those dots, we see this beautiful picture. And hopefully it's a picture of showing the love of Christ to others. So well put, Mike. And same thing through coming to the national meeting and encountering the religious here. And then, you know, going back and telling my pastor what a great experience it was. He goes, well, you need to you need to get on. You need to pursue this. And I I kind of him and Todd and I started applying to colleges. And he goes, you don't want to go there. You could lose your faith. You don't want to go there. You could lose. It. So he sends me to this little college out in New Hampshire. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. This is. But anyway, I uprooted and I went out there and and I discerned and I visited religious communities and seminaries. And I prayed and I in that process, I developed such a devotion to Jesus in the Eucharist. And he was my go to guy for everything. And I prayed a novena to St. Joseph after my second year of being at Magdalene, thinking, do I have a vocation? Don't I have a vocation? What's the answer? And the day after I finished the novena to St. Joseph, the president of the college walked up and said, the board of trustees has just decided that they'd like to offer you the position of executive vice president. I went, wow, what a strange answer to my prayers to St. Joseph. But the rest is history. I, I took on that job. Uh, I was working at a Catholic organization, an institution that embraced Christ and celebrated the liturgy beautifully and taught the sacraments. And lo and behold, we were using the Father John Harden question and answer catechism that he authored prior to the Catholic Church coming out. And then, you know, I said to myself, I know the author, I've met the author, and I invited him to come out to Magdalene and give a talk. And from there, I would invite different religious that I had met or encountered at the national meetings to come and give retreats to our students. When we celebrated our 35th anniversary, we had over 40 vocations to the priesthood and religious life from that small school just because people encountered religious and learned about religious life from religious themselves. And so, once again, these are the benefits of promoting and supporting religious like we do. So anyway, we're celebrating our 50th anniversary year this year with a series of celebrations and a lineup of speakers for our national meeting, which will feature some of the founders, some of the people who worked with Father Hart and Mother Assumpta Long, Cardinal Burke, Mother Marie Julie, Father Thomas Nelson, our national director, beautiful lineup of speakers. And some will reflect on the legacy of Father Hardin, and others will reflect on where we've gone and where we are and where we need to go, looking at the future. And so I just want to make that note so that people can get it on their calendar. It's the weekend of April 5th through 7th, 2024 at University of St. Mary of the Lake uh, Mundelein Seminary here in Mundelein, Illinois, where our offices are located. Throughout the year, we will continue to do these podcasts, which again will feature religious communities and superiors who have started communities and present some of the regional and national meeting talks, as well as some of the courses from the Vita Consecrata Institute. Mike, could you just say a little bit about the Vita Consecrata Institute? You did that we hosted at Christendom College, but a little bit about how that started and what its purpose is. As you mentioned, you know, with the Father John Harden Catechism, Father Harden was very committed to education. He realize to know the truth is to want to live the truth and embrace it in its fullness. And so he always encouraged religious to really know their faith, to study their faith, but in light of their vocation, because that's the way that God would use them to communicate it through their ministry, through their apostolate, through their witness of life. And so when I first came on with the Institute on Religious Life, we had two separate tracks. We had for program for men, it was usually about a week long. 
And then we had a program for religious sisters, and that was a month long. And it was a lot of work and, you know, many good fruits from that work. But when Father Thomas Nelson came on board and he and I began looking at it, we said, you know, is there a way that we could try to be good stewards of our time, our resources and stuff, put the programs together and begin, you know, break it up into different sessions because people's commitments, you know, they couldn't commit to a full month, but sometimes a week wasn't enough. And so we came up with two two-week sessions of the VCI. Some would stay the entire month. Others would just stay for, you know, a two-week session. And we began that, and we wanted it to, to sort of put it within a context of Catholic college or university. And so we began uh, exploring possibilities at, at the time with Ave Maria College that was based in Michigan. And so we had some our classes up at St. Mary's College in Livonia. But then we eventually made our way to Christendom College. And that was very important, I think, because Christendom was a small Catholic college, fully established in Front Royal, Virginia. They had a graduate program. Dr. Timothy O'Donnell was very supportive. He was a great fan of Father Hardin. And just the college, just like you had shared about Magdalen College, was very committed to the faith. And they embraced this program, which we called the Vita Consecrata Institute, was sort of named after the document on religious life that St. John Paul II put out after the extraordinary synod on religious life, which the IRL was part of through Bishop Kimlin. He was invited to be a participant in that synod. And we embraced to say, hey, we wanted to give religious this context of really understanding the faith by living their vocation. And so we began the program and it's just flourished. And we eventually were able to put it under Christendom's graduate school, their Notre Dame graduate school of theology. Participants can go for renewal. They can go for a degree. There is a a master's degree in the theology of the consecrated life. And it's just flourished through the years by, we had great giants of teachers. We had Father Thomas Dubay, we had Father Benedict Rochelle, we had Father Brian Milady, you know, just people that really understood and could share the truth of the faith. And the beauty of it wasn't just learning theology, but it was living it too. And the beauty of the VCI is that, you know, oftentimes you go for studies, that becomes your focus. While with the VCI, it's the studies, but in the context of living the life. And so they continue to live that communal life of prayer with the divine office, with the sacrifice of the mass, with holy hours, with time together, recreation. It just It's blossomed through the years where some uh, would come for a renewal, some would come because they were put in charge of formation for their community, and you can't give what you don't have. And then others were young religious that really needed to be formed, especially within merging communities. And so bishops would encourage these merging communities to go to the BCI because they knew they would be formed in the faith and through the leadership of Father Thomas Nelson, who is just a great witness of religious life and his priestly life and his Norbertine vocation. And so the VCI has just been a program that has been such a blessing for the church and for the institute. So well said, Mike, and having now had the privilege of going to attend the VCI myself over the last several years, again, it brings the religious together to interact with one another. And one of the things that all the surveys tell us whenever they leave is they appreciate the studies, they appreciate living the life, celebrating Mass only, but they really do appreciate being together. They appreciate coming together, sharing their stories, sharing their lives, 
and being together in the presence of Christ. Two years ago when I went and I stayed till the end and they put together a talent show at the end. And it is incredible what talent all of these remarkable, you know, religious who seem so humble and so quiet and so reserved, they just come out of themselves, you know, and they, and they, they do this incredible talent show. But again, it's from the joy of their being together and embracing their vocation so beautifully. And I so- I shared, shared with you that story, I remember a few years back, there was an older sister who was celebrating her 50th anniversary. Sister oh, Caritas. Her family offered a gift, a cruise or the VCI, and she took the VCI and she went and, and you know, after 50 years of living a religious life, she went there and with the mix of men and women, you know, all separated, but integrated, you know, within the class and prayer and stuff like that, with the presence of many young religious, she said that her own vocation was just renewed. And soon after she was diagnosed with cancer and died, but she, one of her sisters had wrote to the Institute on Religious Life that Sister Caritatis said that the VCI was a gift to her and it was a preparation for death because it renewed in her, it rekindled in her that initial passion she had after 50 years. And not that she was a bad religious or anything, but all of us with whatever vocation we have, have to rekindle that fervor that we had of following Christ within that particular vocation. And so for her, that was a gift. And I think for many religious, what you say, through the surveys, through their testimonies and stuff, it's very impactful. Mike, that's such a beautiful story. And that is repeated over and over again when we get the comments back from the religious who attended, that it, it renewed their vocation. It brought their vows alive again. And so we can't say enough about how tremendous the VCI is. And more recently, the Institute was awarded a scholarship grant from the Conrad Hilton Foundation to help foster women religious who are in leadership roles within their community or preparing for leadership roles within their community to attend the VCI. And so that's been a real blessing to be able to help fund some of these communities who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford to send the religious sisters to uh, Vita Consecrata Institute. Well, we could probably go on for all morning because there's so many things to talk about with regard to the accomplishments of the Institute on Religious Life. But I would encourage people who are listening to go to our website at religiouslife.com to find out more about what we do. Just go and look and, and do research because the thing is, we're also trying to promote vocations to religious life. And we want to be a resource to people, especially young people who aren't so sure what religious life is all about or where would they begin to try to figure it out. And so we provide the resources at our website for people to find out more, as we do in the Religious Life magazine as well, which is also posted on our website. So I'd encourage people to go to the website to get more information about the Institute on Religious Life. One of the other things with regard to this podcast is that we're encouraging people to to sign up and become a patron, if you will, or Patreon, I should say. Um, we have membership tiers. We have a postulants uh, membership for $5 a month, and you receive one bonus VCI class recording each month with Father Boniface Hicks and from the VCI courses. We have the novice level at $10 a month, which would include everything from the $5 tier plus a subscription to Religious Life magazine that is published five times a year. We have the solemnly professed level, includes everything from the $10 tier plus an additional VCI class recording each month. So we hope that we will 
be able to come to know you better by having you sign up to become a Patreon and, and joining us in celebrating 50 years of religious life. Before we close, Mike, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we, we draw to a close here? My experience of, of the Institute uh, with Father Hardin as the founder and many other religious bishops and, and, and laity that were there is uh, they were all responding to the call to holiness, which is the key teaching of the Second Vatican Council, that we're all called to holiness. And within religious life, it's a particular path to perfection that we go. In. And I, I think that, you know, I encourage the listeners of this podcast to, to really, if you want to make a difference, you, you want to encourage vocations to support the Institute, because in so many different ways, through their publications, through their presence on the internet, through events that they sponsor, it really makes a difference. Because, you know, sometimes we think, well, what can one person do? But if we support vocations, especially to the religious life, you're really, you know, building up the family, the family of God. And that's the beauty of, of the Institute. You'll find out by being part of it, whether you be a, a layperson, a religious, or, or a priest, or whatever, that it, it's being part of a family and supporting a family. And it's a way to really maximize your support and your gift because it, it touches so many different communities. And those communities will touch so many different souls, whether it be through their apostolate, through their presence, through their prayers. You know, our cloistered communities, a good number of affiliates are cloistered. And you, know, you say, what a waste, you know. What are they doing? They're the foundation of every evangelical work of the church because they're providing the prayers and the sacrifices that are needed so that others can do the work. And so by supporting the Institute, you really support so many good things that will only know in heaven what God has done through our generosity. Thank you so much, Mike. And it's always a joy to spend time with you. And like I said, the time just flew by. We could probably go on for quite a bit longer, but in the essence of not burdening the listener too much with too much information, I suggest that we, we close with a prayer to follow up on what you just stated, Mike. And this is a beautiful prayer for vocations, the priesthood, and religious life. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O God, throughout the ages, you have called women and men to pursue lives of perfect charity through the evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience. During this 50th anniversary year, we give you thanks for these courageous witnesses of faith and models of inspiration. Their pursuit of holy lives teaches us to make a more perfect offering of ourselves to you. Continue to enrich your church by calling forth sons and daughters who, having found the pearl of great price, treasure the kingdom of heaven above all things. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you all for listening to this podcast. May God bless you.